You are listening to Arrive by The Cycling Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to this special Cycling Podcast Arrive episode. The Cycling Podcast Feminine are still going with the Arrive episodes. I think the regular podcasts haven't had one out for months now. But here we are and we're here to talk about uh, the Giro Donne or the Giro d'Italia Donne or the Giro Rosa, as it's been over its many, many forms. And I'm actually here in person with someone for once, with Denny Gray. Hi, Denny. Hello. Welcome. Well, we- welcome. <laughs> <laughs> well, Thank welcome, you, Denny. Rose. Yeah. <laughs> welcome to the real, real world out here in uh, Wandsworth. <laughs> We're actually sitting uh, in a beautiful little uh, Old York Road. It's a beautiful little pedestrianised uh, street in Wandsworth. Because the first place I picked actually was a non, no-screen zone and next to four lanes of traffic. So that was, my, that was my first rookie era. And I am told, I believe that we're joined by Lizzie Banks, although only in picture because she's been saving her voice, poor Lizzie. Uh, so I believe, are you there, Lizzie? Can we actually even hear you this time? I'm here, but I'm very croaky. So um, I'm going to, I've got a regime of water, hot honey and lemon, an actual jar of honey and strepsils, and I'm rotating all of the four as we speak. So I'm going to try and make it through this podcast. This is, I have to say, the loudest and clearest we've heard Lizzie uh, all morning. So um, we're very delighted to have you along, Lizzie. And I know that you took a real battering at the end of uh, the Giro. So can you assure us that you're, you're feeling well, you're feeling OK, you enjoyed your time at the Giro? Yeah, I'm fine. I mean, I crashed at nearly 70k an hour and I was pretty much at the front of the bunch on a downhill. Not quite the front, but, you know, there was probably about 140 riders behind me. So um, to come off with, you know, loss of skin and a slightly bashed sacroiliac joint, I think is pretty fortunate, really. And um, Neve Fisherblack came down with me as well. And she just bounced straight back up again and said, are you OK? And I was going, go, 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 Neve, go. So, uh, yeah, I feel pretty lucky, really, and um, grateful for all the sport in the peloton afterwards because a lot of people came to ask how I was, so that's really nice. Oh, well, I'm sorry to put you through the ordeal of now having to <laughs> ruin what, is, uh, what you've got left uh, of your voice, um, but we needed to have your insight because, obviously, uh, you were at the Giro Donna, and, and sorry, I should say, two-time stage winner. I know Lizzie got annoyed with me last time for leaving it until about 40 minutes into the podcast before mentioning that. Two-time Giro uh, stage winner. So it's a pleasure to have you with us, Lizzie, even if you uh, uh, you think you only saw the back of the race the whole time, which I know is yeah, not true. I should caveat this this whole podcast, really, with the fact that I haven't actually really seen the race. I've been in the race, and what we always try to describe to, to say on the podcast is that when the riders are in the race, they're, they're blind. They don't really know what's going on. And in the bus after the race, I did watch some of the key moments back. But then as the stage, as the race got later through the stages, you got more tired and then didn't really do that. So there's a lot of things that I don't actually know quite how they happened. Um, so what I do know is a lot of things from in the side, side the peloton, um, how the riders are really going other things like that so I think I'll be able to contribute from a different angle but um, I didn't see everything on the TV so just to put that out there to start with I'm well I'm sure whatever you say is going to be fantastic but we're going to start off with I'm not going to say it's the tale of the tape because that's putting too much pressure on myself because Lizzie you normally uh, do it when we're doing an arrivé don't you 
And Denny, you're going to be doing it during the Tour de France Fam. pressure. Coming up. Um, so I do feel a bit of pressure. So I'm not going to say it's that. It's just uh, a little reminder because I have to say, and um, we were speaking about this a bit earlier, Denny, weren't we, that um, tuning into this Giro Donne was really strange because it kind of, every time you go on, uh, what started the coverage, it was almost like you were watching yesterday's stage again there's so many times when i went onto the coverage and had to check that i wasn't watching a repeat because every time you went on it was like solo anamic uh, attack again um which was crazy wasn't it yeah it was uh it was an unusual giro i don't want to spoil your tale of the tape but um it's not a tale of the tape oh so, well okay <laughs> whatever we're going to call it um but yeah the, it, it didn't seem to kind of have the usual kind of grand tour formula um, no breakaway succeeded in the entire race, which was, I guess, very, very unusual. And as you say, Annemiek van Vluten just seemed to be attacking at will um, on the front uh, just for fun. Yeah, and that that was the same for us. That feeling was the same for us as well. I mean, actually, the day that I crashed stage eight was a day that we really thought a breakaway was going to get away. There was that feeling in the peloton that the breakaway would get away. And the second break that I was in had everybody in it. We really thought it was going to go, but then the small Italian teams just brought it back. And it was absolutely crazy. And the other thing is that all of the stages were so short. You know, usually they were around 100 kilometers and the speeds were just so high that, you know, maybe it would take 50, 60 kilometers for something to go, but then it's only 50 kilometers to the finish. So you're already in the final of the race. So it made for a difficult dynamic. And every day the stages were full gas from the gun. It was only the the first climb on stage nine, which was, I think, four kilometers into the stage, that was the only climb that wasn't full gas in the whole race. I mean, thank God it wasn't because I would have been spat out the back. But um, it really was full gas from the gun all day, every day. Well, let me uh, give us a little re- a little reminder, mainly for myself, to be honest, um, about what on earth uh, happened on those uh, nine stage Giro Donne. Um, well, stage one was intended to be a 4.4 kilometre individual time trial. Uh, and despite many of the riders completing the course, including you, Lizzie, um, owing to the downright dreadful weather conditions, the stage was eventually cancelled. What, what was it like, Lizzie, out on that um, time trial course? Just- uh, I, well, you will hear everything in my Giro diary when it comes out, but the thunder was like nothing I've ever heard. And the rain was just madness. Um, one of my teammates, I, I was off right at the beginning and the rain started as the time trial started, which meant the roads were just incredibly slippery. More than half of the first starters crashed. Our team car nearly crashed, Trek team car did crash. Um, and then later that it became hail, then the rain became so heavy that there were flash floods. My teammate, Katrin Hammers, actually rode straight into a manhole cover that had exploded and was in a fountain, but she couldn't even see it. So she just smashed up her front wheel and thankfully didn't come down. But um, it was chaotic conditions. Wow. Oh, gosh, crazy. So um, then we had stage two, then, of course, became the first proper day's racing of the Girodone and pretty much set the blueprint, or should I say, van blueprint for the stages to come. <laughs> the problem is Denny's sitting next to me, so he can see that I've 
I've literally written that down. <laughs> so it's not like some off the cuff, cough, uh, off the cuff improvisation. Um, an Annemiek van Vluten attack on the Paso della Colla saw her take the win, the first Malia Rosa, and a GC lead of at least 49 seconds on all of her rivals. Stage three saw Lorena Ibus crowned the best of the sprinters, uh, and on stage four, a trio of Van Fluten, Lisa Longo Borghini, and Veronica Ewers came to the line together, initiated by a solo break from Ewers with 33 kilometres to go. I had to get that in because yes, thank you very much, teammate. Yeah, uh, Italian champion Longo Borghini had the edge on the others and took what was only her second stage win ever at the Giro Donne, which really surprised me when I saw that she'd only won. Only ever won mm. two uh, stages. Uh, stage five saw Antonia Niedermeyer of Canyon Sram hold on to take her first ever Women's World Tour win. In dramatic scenes on the final descent, Van Fluten came off her bike but was able to continue her pursuit of Niedermeyer. Unfortunately, moments later, Longo Borghini suffered a much heavier fall and despite finishing the stage, was unable to continue in the race. With her nearest rival out of the race and Van Fluten's overall lead now at over two minutes on the rest, Malia Rosa continued to impose her dominance with a with two back-to-back -back solo stage wins. Impressive performances from Guy Raelini and Juliette Labousse saw them climb into the podium places at the expense of Veronica Ewers. Even with Webus leaving the Giro Donne early to con concentrate on the tour, SD Works didn't go without on the stage eight sprint, the first of the two closing stages on Sardinia. Hungarian national champion Blanka Vas this time taking the spoils. And on the final stage nine, Team UAE ADQ's Chiara Consoni sprinted to victory and dedicated the win to teammate Marta Bastianelli, who brought her 17-year cycling career to a close at the race. Van Vluten took her fourth overall title at the race after totting up a total of 3 minutes 56 advantage on Labousse. Raelini took third. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Well, um, it, I mean, we mentioned a little bit already about how kind of imperious uh, Van Fluten uh, looked there, but it was kind of surprising. Well, was it surprising that she went from the gun? I mean, she got that huge advantage, 49 seconds on that for, well, what was the first proper stage of racing in the end, stage two, um, and then she just uh, added to it every single day. She added to that. Yeah, I mean, it... It felt like we, we didn't actually see her attack because the TV coverage had disappeared because of the rain and the clouds. So I remember, you know, watching it at the time, all of a sudden she was away, clear, going downhill, clearly she was going to win the stage. And with 49 seconds in the bag, uh, on what, at least on paper, didn't look like a, a particularly challenging climb compared to, you know, some others in the race, um, you felt that 
the GC race was over already. You know, the old Annemiek's back. Um, of course, during the Vuelta Femenina, um, she perhaps wasn't as dominant as she has been in past Grand Tours, and it was a very, very close run thing. Whereas this time around, it was very different, especially once Elisa Longo Borghini crashed out, and then, of course, Niedermeyer. Um, it just felt like um, there were no one could rival her. No, that's true. I think that, uh, I mean, Annemiek van Vluten's style of, of racing uh, for GC is to to go for every second, though, uh, isn't it? I mean, I was just thinking back about the Giro, I think it was in 2020, when she actually eventually uh, crashed out, but she was in the Malia Rosa. Yeah, and had that, that first crash. gravel oh stage. Yeah, and she had that first gravel stage. And even then, uh, she was taking time on what could have been just a race like a, a classic race. Um, Instead, but Lizzie, was that the feeling in the peloton that after that stage two, when Annemiek had already got a gap on everyone else, that that, that was already done there, or what was the feeling there? Um, I think it was clear at that point that she was the strongest climber in the race. Um, we, yeah, we went on the attack, um, as you said, um, when Veronica Ewers initiated that attack on stage four, I think it was. Um, we knew that we we needed to attack. And then, you know, Annemie van Vluten later asserted her dominance even further on the fifth stage from Salasa to Serres, the stage actually, which was actually won by Antonia Niedermeyer. But it started with a huge climb, the, um, the Chimera copy of the race, the Pian del Lupo. And she, well, it was this crazy run-in, 10-kilometer run-in. I was doing a sprint lead-out basically in the first 10-kilometer scale, climber into the position. And then she just went full gas from the gun the whole way up. It was a, a steep climb, nine, uh, 10 kilometers at 9%. Very challenging climb. And the descent was even more challenging. And she didn't want to be put in, under pressure. We've seen this before from Annemiek van Vluten in previous Giro's. She's attacked in order to be able to defend herself, to not be put under pressure on the descent. And it really was a horrible descent. It was like a gravel descent. Um, Nia Fisher-Black came down there, actually. She was on her own chasing and she came down. Um, I understand there was a rider from an Italian team who flew off the side of the barriers um, on her own and thankfully was seen by a Jumbo Visma car. Um, and a lot of the descents on that stage were incredibly challenging. So she put herself in the position that she wouldn't be able to be put under pressure. But in doing so, she also, I mean, at the top of that climb, she'd actually distanced Veronica by, Veronica Ewers by three minutes. Um, and in the end, the group came back together before Antonio Niedermeyer attacked and Longo Borghini, um, Van Vluten and Raolini were behind. But, but it was very clear that she was the best climber in the race. Now, what we don't know is if Vollering was there, what would have happened? Because we do know that there are a number of riders missing here. Um, Vollering, Shabby, Niviodoma, um, Royster, to name but a few. But what I do think is, like you said, Danny, we are seeing, we are seeing the Van Vluten of old. She hasn't quite had this edge. The way that she's been riding in this Giro, she hasn't been able to do that in previous races this year. Um, and to have that confidence to go in that, I think that she's getting back to that real top form that we've seen before. And I do believe that this Giro will give her a huge boost. She's already back up at altitude, up in Lavinio. She was there already on Sunday night, straight after the race. Um, and she'll stay there, I assume, to prepare until the tour starts or until a few days before the tour starts. So I think we are gearing up for a battle royale in the Tour de France. Um, and that's really exciting. But that, I mean, that's exactly what we want to hear, isn't it? I mean. 
Annemiek came here and she won three uh, stages. Obviously, she won the Vuelta Femenina overall, but she actually didn't win any stages when she was there. So, you know, as we say, that she hasn't had that dominance uh, on the road yet. But, I mean, how much do we think that she actually benefited from, not benefited from Elisa Longo-Borghini crashing out, because that sounds cruel, but benefited by not having um, a close rival. It seemed, like Lizzie said, you know, there's quite a few absentees from this race. So there weren't actually that many rides that you could have pinpointed and said they were also going for GC directly. There weren't actually that many other riders. Because I I did, as you can see here, Denny, I fell into a pot of numbers (laughs) uh, when I was trying to decide, um, you know, find out which stages actually made the difference. And what it became clear to me was that because uh, all of her nearest rivals, so like Ewers, Labus, Longo Borghini, Raelini, they all kind of gained and lost on different stages, which meant that effectively throughout the whole race, even if someone was um, coming across the line at the same time as, as Annemiek van Vluten, she was still gaining time because it meant that other rivals fell back. So, you know, how much do you think she benefited by not having that, um, that kind of famous rivalry like she would have if following, say, was there? Yeah, I mean... I, I, it's hard to kind of speculate. Lionel wouldn't like that, would he? But um, I think Lionel's not here. Denny. He's not here. He's not here. But you know, I, th- I think it's fair to say she probably did benefit. I mean, she there were there were fewer riders to control. She didn't have to worry about time gaps so much. But you know, having said that, you can't you can't you can't overstate just uh, how, how good a ride it was from from Manamik and Even without her rivals there, she just had this ruthless consistency throughout the race. Uh, and and I think the other thing we should say is that you know that this is the end of an era. This is her last year racing. She's basically dominated the Giro Donne for six years. She's won four titles, even the titles the years she didn't win. She crashed out on one. She was third on the other. Um, I expect to see a very different race next year as a result of her not being there. Um, and you know, whilst we love to see a GC contest, it was also quite nice to see a rider you know 40 years old now going out on such a high in in a race that she's made her own yeah yeah but the thing is I don't think I don't think we can say that there wasn't still a GC contest perhaps there wasn't still a GC contest for the 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 first spot on the podium but everything behind was really all to play for I mean I I should check my stats but um you know, okay, so after stage five, Antonia Niedermeyer was on 2.07 and Mavi Garcia was on 3.39 and there were still a lot of hilly stages to come. So everything was very close. Um, you was 2.18, Labus 3, uh, Gaia Raelini 3.14. And, you know, we're not even seeing Erica Magnaldi there. She was oh, also on 3.39. And there was so much fight there. Everybody behind was fighting for something. So everybody was still attacking and giving it everything Annemiek van Vluten was stronger, but there was still there was still a lot of racing going on. It was never like, oh, Annemiek's ridden off and now we just tra-la-la-la-la up to the finish line. Yes, maybe Annemiek rode off, but everything was still going on behind and it was such a complex race because there were races within the race. Well, obviously, Lizzie, you're a big part of that, um, trying to help Veronica Ewers to uh, secure a podium position. In the end, obviously, Veronica uh, ended up fourth. 
Um, but that sounded like I was saying that you that you would somehow fail, Lizzie. I didn't think. Uh, it thanks, like. Rose. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but I mean, well, the point the point is like even on the okay. So we lost on stage seven. We lost the second spot, and we came down to fourth. And then on stage eight, we came down to fifth. But on stage nine, we got one bonus second that took us back up to that fourth place. Place, And so there are still these fights, even if it looks like it's a closed race at the top. There are still these fights within the races. There are still all of these stories within the races and riders battling each other for maybe not a podium spot. But fourth place on GC on the Giro Rosa is an incredibly big achievement. Um, and... And it matters. You know, Manialdi was fighting for that spot. We were fighting for that spot for Veronica Ewers. Um, and although it looked like a closed race at the top, it wasn't really a closed race because there was so much going on behind. But Lizzie, at what point uh, in the week was did the focus, say, in your team change from let's try and go for the win to let's try and outplay the other rivals? That's kind of what I'm interested in because I think that Annemiek van we, actually capitalised a little we bit We didn't on come here to go for GC. We didn't come here to go for GC at all. It wasn't that aim. We came here to go for stages. We wanted to be attacking. Um, and Veronica came very close to a stage win on stage four. She was solo, caught by Van Vluten and Longo Borghini, ended up coming second very, very close. I mean, Longo Borghini was imperious in the sprint, but it was very close. And at that point, you know, she was then in the GC position. I think she was third in GC at that point. Um, and then so we still wanted to be attacking. We still wanted to try for a stage win, but we weren't going to actively make Veronica lose time. But still, the plan was, you know, if something happened to Veronica, we weren't all going to go back and ride for her because the plan was to go for a stage win. Mm. Obviously, in the end, um, no breaks ended up going and it ended up being kind of cagey in that respect. But um, yeah, that was never our plan coming in. Sorry, Lizzie, if there was any disturbance there, because me and Denny have been was joined by a pigeon um, <laughs> who is trying to uh, enjoy, uh, enjoy a bit of Denny. I think that's your croissant, isn't it, that you've left out on the table there? That's that's a not a rookie error, I have to say. Well, I didn't want to finish it because uh, I thought you might thrust the mic into my mouth. Oh, okay. I'd, have, I'd have a bit of croissant while talking. Yeah, but I think it's uh, you're right, Lizzie. We shouldn't, un, you know, underplay what happened behind Annemiek van Vluten, and it was. It was some really, really exciting racing. Very, very aggressive race. Um, and it, it, you said you weren't going for GC, and it made me wonder, actually, as you hinted earlier, Rose, you know, how many riders were seriously going for GC at the beginning, the beginning of the race? Eliso Longo Borghini clearly was. Well, well, Jenny, you say that, but oh, in the interviews, okay. in the interviews before, she stated that she wasn't going for GC. Um, we have a little kind of fantasy Giro Rosa league, and my friend said, well, you know, this is what she says in the interview, and I said, to quote Francois, that's absolute bullshit. Um, <laughs> and, and then, you know, obviously she ended up, she was in the position where she was, I think, second at one point. Um, and so, but but I kind of believe that perhaps they weren't going for GC for her. They were going for GC for Raelini. And had she not have crashed out, which is academic because she did, um, then they would have been in the position when they could have won to her. And I thought that's what they were going to try and do on the, the, the Queen stage, on stage five. Um, they weren't able to do it, but they could have continued to try that later in the race. Um, you know, try and send Longo Borghini up the road and try and crack Van Vloot in that way to get the GC position. But coming into the race, she said that she wasn't going for GC. Interesting. It felt, though, early on that she was going to be... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I thought... I uh, think it's a load of rubbish. Absolutely a load of crap. <laughs> yeah. 
but but I mean that but that's interesting you know how did that affect the race were were teams and riders already thinking let's go for stage wins you know GC is out of the picture did that affect the way the race played out do you think I mean yeah. if, if every team's going for stage wins then yeah. no wonder it was so aggressive no absolutely absolutely I mean so many teams coming in were saying we're going for stage wins because on paper this was a, a Giro where stage wins looked so promising you know rolling all the time rather than lots of really big high mountains um, and like lots of high mountain top finishes but then if you're in the position that absolutely everybody wants a stage win, then nothing gets away. And like I was saying before, often you would have situations where everybody was in a break, but then the Italian teams would chase it down. And that is a problem because, you know, they're always trying to fight for this position, even if sometimes it means illegally going back to a front group on the car. You know who you know who you are if you're listening, Anna Kiesenhofer. <laughs> She's not an Italian rider. Oh, gosh, wow. that's, that was, that's spicy, Lizzie. I, I mean... I don't even know where to to go from that. Um, Anna, please continue to uh, keep listening to the podcast. Um, just uh, try and play by the rules uh, when you're racing. I guess is the uh, is the rule there. Um, but I mean, it's funny because obviously when we did the preview, I mean, I feel like a bit of an idiot because I was like, <laughs> oh, I don't know that, and I know that Lizzie will probably remind me of this. I was like, oh, I'm not sure that this is the race looks like it's going to be hard enough for Van Vluten <laughs> to really uh, gain a lot of but, time on everyone else. But that was, I mean, I think everyone thought that. You, I mean, you know, reading back through all the previews, previews across the media, I think everybody. Apart from Lizzie, Denny, that's apart the problem. Apart from Lizzie, expected <laughs> it to be a very what? different race. You know, you know Chloe Target was being touted as a potential GC contender. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it just show, goes to show, you know, that the people didn't, people perhaps underestimated how difficult the course was. But it's also a case of how it's raced, though, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes people forget to look at the elevation on the side and you might see this climb and think, oh, it's not that, not that big. But then when you see it starts at zero and finishes at 1,000, 100 actually that's pretty big climb but actually we had the ultimate compliment on um on the start one day I said well thanks Annemie because I I predicted you'd go off on a solo rampage Uh, and she said that she really enjoys the podcast so um the ultimate compliment we can lose we can lose Anna Kiesenhofer from our listening from our listenership (laughs) (laughs) because we've got Annemie Van Vluten but we we haven't really spoken too much about uh, you mentioned Guy Raelini uh Lizzie there I mean she was really impressive I think what is also heartening when the tour is really just around the corner for us already uh, is that Raylene has kind of really grown uh, she was growing during the race wasn't she kind of grew into her well the position of being lead GC was kind of dumped on her a bit or at least the pressure to get something out of the race were kind of thrown onto her because of her teammate Longo Borghini uh, crashing out of course um, but it seemed to me very positive that um, she seemed to get better as the race uh, went on. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, she, she looked incredibly impressive as the race wore on. I think she seemed to be brilliantly guided by her teammates. Lizzie Dykeman mm. seemed to be kind of steering her uh, through, through the pack, which I'm sure, you know, having experienced riders like that alongside her must have benefited her enormously. Um, she obviously is a you know, continues to prove that she's an outstanding climber. I just hope she she, she rides at the Tour Fam because I'd love to see her going up the Tourmalet. Um, but of course, we don't know the start lists yet. But I think, um, yeah, she's been a, continues to be a real revelation. To, to use a terrible pun, pun um, she's a great little climber. Oh, <laughs> we haven't Very had good. any little Very tricks. Good. 
puns. God, yeah, that was that was just going begging. I wonder how many those are going to happen at the Tour de France. Well, although, although officially you're supposed to call them Lidl. Yes, <laughs> I, did, I did hear that. But then that doesn't help. You know, if you're in the UK, obviously, then that, that's not advertising the brand to UK people, is it? Because we call, call it Lidl. Um, here, but yeah, Guy Raylini, she's kind of, uh, she does strike me as, as has huge potential, but maybe slightly still little naive um, as to, you know, kind of the, you know, the fact when you're going for GC, you really have to be up there all the time. There's kind of no mm. off days. Maybe there's a little bit of naivety there because sometimes she's a little bit out of position or, you know, she's, it seems that she has to put in more effort to get back to a position that perhaps she should have been in all, all the time. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I made some really nice Crupetto friends this year, which is a new, <laughs> new experience for me. Um, and one day, Eleanor Backstead said to me, I've got beef with you for going too hard on the climbs yesterday. Um, but anyway, uh, one day in the Gruppetto, we were having a conversation about um, our, our different little humans, uh, <laughs> as we called them, or tiny humans, I think. And Eleanor Backstead was saying, you know, she has the job of shepherding her tiny human early in the race. And, and it's so difficult because she's so small and she can so easily get kind of pushed around and, um, and sometimes finds it difficult to follow. And especially when it's a very tightly packed peloton and it's a very big peloton. Having seven riders in the race instead of six makes a huge, huge difference to the size of the peloton. Um, and I really felt that on my first road stage. Um, and so it was interesting, you know, they're obviously, they're obviously having to try really hard to shepherd her around and it's a difficult job. You know, say you lose someone in a roundabout, you have to go all the way back and then you have to bring them all the way back up again. Um, so yeah, it, it is a hard job, but one thing that I think is going to be interesting looking to the tour is obviously on the final stage in Poe, we have the time trial. And I really wondered about Guy Raylini's time trial abilities. But um, I'm not sure, actually, if she went off in the end on the first day because we did see sometimes and Annemiek van Vluten had a great time and it would have been very interesting to see how that would have affected the GC because there are some people, Manialdi, for instance, who were, would have been delighted that the time trial was ended up not counting. But, I mean, it was only 4.4... Because I did wonder that, actually, Lizzie, about whether... Oh, no, you know, in, those, in, those conditions, in those conditions, it could be a minute difference. You know, especially wow. Mavi Garcia crashed... Um, you know, a lot of people came down. So uh, I was doing the recon at the same time as Raylini and Longo Borghini, and Raylini was absolutely flying. I was so impressed, really, really impressed. Um, so I think that bodes well for the tour. But again, you know, obviously this is not a preview for the tour. We're supposed to be looking back at the Giro. But in order, in order for the tour, in order to stay on that GC position, you're going to have to have time going into that time trial, aren't you? You know, you've got to make up time before. And that's always a difficult, a difficult thing to do because if you go up the road, no one's just going to let you up the road. You know, they're always going to be scared. So, so yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be hard. And I think, yeah, I, I think that she's in a good place and I think that she might give us a surprise in the time trial, but I still think it'll be difficult against the likes of Vollering and Van Vleuten. And Longo Borghini, of course, sorry. Yes, and Raylini is obviously, is like we said, how, you know how small she is. She is built like a, a pure climber. She really, she isn't like a, a rider that would translate uh, into the classics uh, 
particularly well because she's you know so light, uh, so petite, so small. Um, but we also we haven't really mentioned much about Juliette Labousse, which Lizzie, you you told you've informed me that you actually asked Juliette herself because you lots of the co commentators say Labou or Labousse or it could be anything, but Juliette herself says it's Labousse, right? Yeah. So I was in the airport and flying back to Geneva. She was also flying to Geneva because she lives in Besançon and it's actually the closest airport. Um, we had lunch together um, and then we were having lunch and I thought, well, I should do an interview and get the scoop from you, Juliet. <laughs> and then afterwards I said, well, how, how, how is your name pronounced? Please tell us. And she said, Juliet Labousse. So. Well, let's hear, let's hear that little. I didn't realise that you had just scooped her at and, uh, just when she was trying to have lunch at an airport. But well, she, she, she actually wanted to have lunch with me. So. Okay, well, then it's, then it's fine to give her a, to quiz her. But uh, let's hear that uh, interview now then, shall we? Well, Julia, it seems a bit ridiculous for me to say that this is a breakthrough result after the career you've had. And last year you won the stage of the Giro, which was the team of copy. And of course, you won the GC at Vuelta Burgos. But does this feel like a breakthrough to you in terms of GC results? Yeah, maybe as a accomplishment for sure. I think podium in Giro is quite special. And I think it maybe doesn't happen every time. So now I'm really happy about it. Yeah, I mean, you had an amazing team working for you there. Um, did you come in thinking that you could get onto the GC in this in this race? I had some doubts because my preparation was not uh, ideal. Had some, uh, yeah, mental, uh, mental, yeah, was fine, but some uh, sickness and stuff, so it was quite hard. So I had some doubts uh, before coming there, but the team really had trust in me, and I never felt that they were doubting in me. So I think this really helped uh, me to to get there. Sometimes sickness can actually allow your body to have the rest that it needs, and in order to kind of. Um, if you're not too ill, you get a fitness boost from it. Uh, and obviously, you're in amazing form in this Giro and fought really hard. Uh, took the GC place away from us, but as a fan of the sport, I'm really happy to see it. Now, going into the Tour de France, where does that put you and where does that put your ambitions? I think it gives me maybe a bit more pressure because people for sure expect then, uh, that I also should be on the podium for the Tour, but I just have to stay calm and uh, yeah, focus on myself. and. Yeah, I'm really excited for the Tour. I think after last year four, so for sure I have ambitions and yeah, looking forward to it. And it's your home race? Yeah, a home race. It's pretty far this year from, uh, from where I live, but uh, I think a lot of people will be there to cheer and yeah, I'm looking forward to that also. So that was Juliette Labousse. Obviously, she was very heartened by her performance at the Giro Donner. And as you say, Lizzie, we should need to stop looking forward to the Tour, but it's so difficult because it, it's 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 so close now I mean we've got like what a week and a half and then it's it's going to be the Tour de France fam and I think mm. that you know as much as we don't want to keep reflecting on the fact that it's coming up it, it is kind of key to how this Giro was raced um, it was because that we've got this what has become probably the the bigger target uh, for most riders um, just around the corner yeah I mean obviously we want to talk about the Giro but Clearly, the, the Tour had it, made its mark on the Giro just because of the start lists, potentially because of the way riders raced and approached the race. Um, as you say, perhaps it's become a, a bigger target. Um, it's unfortunate for the Giro that it's had these problems with the organisers. <laughs> Hopefully <laughs> next year... I mean, it's RCS had these problems with the organisers since the inception of the Giro, don't it? Yes, yes. yes. But, you know, it needs to up its game clearly now. It's got as a new kid in town with the tour and and hopefully that will with RCS coming on board um, the Giro will re-establish itself as a as a, a, a target in its own right not that people weren't targeting it this year of course but it just seems to have been slightly overshadowed 
And I think part of the problem also is that it's come so close to the tour, as you said, Rose, 13 days out. Um, next year will be very different. It's an Olympic year. The tour will be in August. But I do wonder whether the organisers need to look at the dates. It would be great to, you know, for GC riders and well, all riders to be able to go into the Giro and race it in its own right and not have to worry about whether they're going to be prepped for the tour or whatever is around the corner. Yeah, I understand that there's a big calendar shake-up coming in 2025. So next year, 2024, as it stands, the, the women's tour is on the calendar in its usual position. The Giro is on the calendar in its usual position. It clearly suffers hugely from being on at the same time as the first week of the men's tour. You know, nobody... Which it always has been, though, Lizzie. Yeah, it, it always has been, and it's always suffered from that. But yeah, saying I think that, the, the reasoning behind that, there is a reason behind that, because it is that Rai, the Italian yeah. broadcasters... Um, tended to show the Tour de France men's coverage and then show uh, highlights, but I mean it was only ever like 15 minutes, highlights package from uh, the Giro Donne from the same day. So that's kind of the reason that it is in this <laughs> awkward place in the calendar, which does mean I think it gets almost no, I think this year was particularly bad I feel because there seemed to be almost no coverage on it. Mm. Yeah, I mean it's a challenging spot and the whole thing needs a rejig. But um, as I understand, that's coming in 2025, so we need to uh, have a little patience. And um, yeah, it's coming. Well, we should. We, the thing we also haven't mentioned is the fact that. Um, well, I guess again another uh, side effect of having the tour is that Lorena Vibus uh, left the race early. Um, she got one stage win, one sprint, um, and then left uh, in order to prepare for the tour. Um, obviously, part of that probably is also that a lot of there were very few pure sprint stages, and then all the ones that you thought might be a sprint stage, um, like or a good one for the likes of Mariana Vos, say, uh, became just Anamique <laughs> wins anyway. Um, but uh, Lizzie, so we didn't get those kind of crucial sprint stages but you think also maybe because um, you were saying a little bit before we started recording actually that Mariana Voss was not perhaps uh, at, at her best at the moment and that might have been why also there's probably fewer people gunning for a sprint also um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that the reason that Voss wasn't at her best is the reason that we perhaps didn't have more kind of sprinty stages I'm actually a little surprised that Lorena Vivas left because I think that the Giro is excellent preparation for the Tour. And I think that stage eight and nine, she probably could have won both of them. Of course, her teammate yeah. won stage eight, so not really a problem. But I, I think that she could have won Chiara Consoni in the sprint in stage nine, despite that I'm very happy to see Consoni win the stage. I'm a big fan of hers. Um, Mariana Voss was definitely out of sorts. Um, well, you've got some stats, haven't you, Denny, on Mariana Voss's oh. Giro participation? <laughs> Have I? <laughs> Putting me on the spot. No, I mean, she was obviously looking for a 33rd stage win. Um, she's won a stage in every edition she's raced. Mm. And I think the expectation was, especially after she won two stages in the Vuelta Femenina, that she would win an, at least one more. Um, and it was a real surprise to see her not. And I think, I think she only really got close twice. One was on stage eight and she had a mechanical and you could hear her screaming as uh, she crossed the line in frustration. But then on stage nine, she seemed perfectly positioned behind Chiara Consoni, and, um, and, but couldn't come round her. And that you know, really did suggest that she wasn't quite where she, she would be if she was at her best. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, there was, there was one climb, uh, I can't remember which stage it was, a steep climb where I actually passed Marianne Voss, which 
you know, in the old days, like I would have climbed, I would have just, just outclimbed her, just. Um, but right now, I mean, she should be climbing a lot better than me. So she's obviously not quite right. I wonder if there's any kind of hangover from this iliac artery issue that she had in the spring. She had a she had a, um, a small surgery. She had surgery for that. even. Yeah, she had a small surgery and some some time out for that. Um, but she seemed to be back in peak form. But Jumbo Visma are almost a bit, little bit lost without her. They of course have Fem Van Empel, who they. Um, were sort of trying to ride for in GC. In the end, she ended up 11th, 10 minutes 44 back. Um, but but Mariana Voss is, of course, the big star of their team. And I, I hope for the sake of the tour that it's just, a, a, I don't know, coming timing coming off the back of her Mallorca training camp thing and, and that, that she takes this fitness boost into the tour. But having seen her on the bike, I'm... I'm a little concerned. I wonder if perhaps she's been focusing more on the sprints because um, the World Championships is such a heavily, heavily punchy sprint-based race and that's potentially affected her climbing. But uh, I think yeah, I think that she's not quite the Mariana Voss that we're used to at the moment. But it's, it must be incredibly hard, Lizzie, to, for riders to get, uh, to, to time their training right. I mean, because you had the Giro Donne, the the tour fam and then the world's coming in such quick succession I do wonder you know part of me wonders whether where riders are at including Voss is a is a result of them thinking ahead and trying to plan out their season and you can't be you can't peak for every race mm. um, you know I mean maybe <laughs> Van Vluten can but uh, you know it's 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 not an easy juggling act is it yeah, but I mean, Van, Van Vleuten can't because she wasn't, she wasn't the same rider we saw in the spring that we often do. Mm. Um, and I think that the big dip will come after the World Championships, actually. I think that's when everybody will, you know, they've been going mentally, they've been going full gas and physically. And after the World Championships, they will just be like, right, I need, I need to stop. And then the body will sort of like decompress and everything will stop for a while. So I think going into something like the Tour of Scandinavia, that'll be interesting to see what lineup and what happens there. Um, but yeah, it's very, very difficult to just keep on carrying on for such a long time. We well, should say actually that after a whole uh, year of asking how do you beat SD Works, we finally have our answer, and that is just be Annemiek van Vluten. That's the only, the only answer. Because that's been the question that's been hanging over us uh, for months and months and months. Um, actually, I'm going to slip this stat in because it took me so long to look it up that I'm annoyed that I haven't mentioned it already, which was Nee Fisher-Black in the second stage was the highest finishing SD Works rider. 22nd, that is the lowest wow. uh, first place rider that SD Works have had all in the wow. world Women's World Tour all year, which is yeah. phenomenal, isn't yeah. it? Oh. But anyway, I had to leave that in because I, yeah, I was brilliant. looking that up for hours. So Great stats <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, well, we should wrap it uh, up there, um, guys, because we could just carry on uh, talking forever, couldn't we? Uh, but thank you very much, Lizzie, for putting your voice on the line for us <laughs> um, and giving us... I loved the the hearing about the chats in the Gruppetto. Um, and I can only hope... Well, I don't necessarily hope that you're in the Gruppetto again in the Tour de France fam. Because obviously we want to see you bossing Well, I'll, I'll be in A Gruppetto. It depends if I'm in the A Gruppetto or the B Gruppetto. One day I was in the A Gruppetto and it was blimmin' hard. <laughs> What's the chat like in each one? So there's no chat in the A Gruppetto. In the A Gruppetto, it's just like, oh my God, am I actually going to survive this? Because they're going full gas. There's not much chat. Okay. 
Um, in the B group Eto, there's a lot of chat, and actually there's too much chat because I'm frustrated because I just want to get to the line. So I need like an 8.5 group Eto. <laughs> Okay, I like that. Well, hopefully, fingers crossed, because we don't know exactly the lineup for the Tour de France fan yet, do we? Um, but hopefully, we'll be hearing from you plenty. And Denny, thank you very much for joining me today. That's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, how nice. Um, but uh, we're going to be hearing a lot more from. I hope you and everyone, all the listeners, enjoyed listening to Denny. We know Lizzie absolutely loves. Uh, hearing from Denny as it's, that, that makes, as it's style. makes it sound like a very weird relationship <laughs> <laughs> I assure you um, I'm happily married and so is Denny definitely implying things that uh, <laughs> it shouldn't I was hearing from Denny I don't think that, I think that's okay I don't think I've crossed a line there no, 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 no. <laughs> anyway well the li- like, hopefully the listeners have enjoyed hearing from you Denny in a non uh creepy way no I'm getting this is all getting worse anyway yes. we know that our uh, cycling podcast lineup will be me and Denny out at the Tour de France uh, fam and uh, hopefully hearing plenty from uh, you Lizzie either with us as a podcaster or hopefully uh, in the race uh, but as Lizzie mentioned earlier also uh, if you want to hear more about the Giro Donne um, or just to hear more from Lizzie and um, it's <laughs> going to be a fantastic audio diary which I'm really really looking forward to um, hearing because you had a kind of you're going to have had a bit of everything um, Lizzie but that will be coming out for friends of the podcast soon right um, I should uh, wrap it up that that's plenty of uh, blabbering on from me uh, thank you Lizzie for joining us thank you Rose and thank you Denny thank you The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freeb, and Lionel Burney.